Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick. And today's guest is Grant Wilson, who is the executive director of Earth Law Center. He's an expert on the rights of nature, ecocentric law, water law, and international law. And for the last decade, he has defended the rights and interests of nature all over the world, including by writing new rights of nature laws and winning decisive courtroom victories for rivers and other ecosystems. Grant co-wrote and edited the first law school course book on the emerging field of earth law. He's an expert member of the UN Harmony with Nature Initiative and IUCN World Commission on Environmental Law. And Grant earned a JD with a certificate in environmental and natural resources law from Lewis and Clark Law School. Hi, Grant. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited. We had Darlene on years ago from the Earth Law Center, and it was just such a fun podcast to record with her, and I learned so much. And since that episode, you know, I've I've thought a lot about just the earth and like at the fullest, we just really believe in getting back to nature and indigenous practices when it comes to everything from our well-being to beauty practices to just how we live on this world, on this planet and our impact with it. And and then recently, I, I don't know if you saw it and I'm curious what your thoughts were if you did, but I saw um, last year Michael Moore's documentary, uh, Planet of the Humans. Have you seen that? I have seen it, yes. Yeah, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it because honestly, it was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I used to drive an electric car. Like, I mean, regardless of what kind of car you drive, like we're obviously making an impact on our environment. That's really what Earth law comes down to. Um, and that's how I understand it. So I, I'd love to get into what earth law is and um, why it's so important. And then we can kind of get into the the other things that I think many of us, you know, especially like in, I'm in Southern California and so many people who are like, oh, I'm an environmentalist and I do all these things. And I think that's great. And I think the intention is there for so many people who believe in climate change, because I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't, but I, I also believe that there's just so much more to it and it's become this industry and we really uh, like need to that we have no time and we need to educate ourselves on what's really going on and how we can truly make an impact. So anyways, I really appreciate you coming on the show and um and yeah, let's get started with what earth law means. Sure. Uh, earth law is an emerging body of law that seeks to transform our relationship with nature. And uh, it's a series of legal movements, uh, just like human rights law includes various movements that uh, give and recognize basic rights for humans. So some of the legal movements that comprise earth law are the rights of nature, which is the idea that nature should have basic rights just as humans do, uh, that nature should be a, a participant in our democracy. Uh, and then there's also uh, the rights of future generations, which is the idea that um, people who are not even born yet today, who will inherit our planet, um, have 
a right to a healthy environment themselves. And so it kind of establishes a duty upon us to leave a a healthy, thriving, clean, pollution-free, we hope, uh, planet for future generations. Um, other legal movements are uh, legal guardianship for nature, which are laws that uh, allow people, uh, including local communities, indigenous peoples, and others, to serve as a legal guardian of the natural world, just as a child might have a legal guardian. That's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah, and that kind of gets to, you know, what role does nature have in our society? And, you know, I think one of the fundamental issues we deal with is right now, nature's role is our uh, property. You know, we buy and sell and exploit nature. But uh, what if nature had a voice and in, in society? And then how do you give nature a voice? Well, you know, guardianship is one way to do that. That's amazing. And so you're part of p- creating these laws, right? Yeah, you know, we do a couple of things. We, we write these laws. So we're working all over the world, kind of drafting the next generation of legal protections for nature. Uh, you, you know, you've probably heard of environmental laws. And, you know, those are helpful to slow down degradation. But what we call earth laws are actually restorative of nature. Uh, and then we, you know, fight in the courts and, and train legal professionals as well uh, with this next generation of laws that are, are more protective of the planet. So, okay, with all that said, there are so many things we're currently doing that are degrading our environment and the health of the people that live on our planet, because I truly believe that if it's not good for the earth, it's not good for us as people. So we should just always start with what's good for the earth Uh and think that have that mentality first. And like things I, I'm just curious, like where, how have you guys um, helped in the like fight against GMOs and things like that? Is that some, a place where you guys are really spending time in? Um, yeah, GMOs, not specifically, but I'd say broadly speaking, yes. Um, I mean, GMOs, some of the philosophical tenets of GMOs are you know, corporate control over agriculture. Uh, it's the idea that you can own nature and actually own the, uh, you know, the specific genetic qualities of a crop that you that you developed. Um, GMOs result in the heavy use of, of pesticides and chemicals uh, and insecticides that are destructive to nature uh, and, and so forth. And so kind of what we do is uh, create a new blueprint of the legal system that's based on the idea that uh, nature has a right to be healthy. And if nature has a right to be healthy, uh, maybe we have to look at GMOs again because, you know, the, the excessive use of chemicals is impairing the, the uh, functional integrity of ecosystems. Um, part of what we do is also empowering local communities with stronger laws. And so, you know, we've probably, you've probably heard about, uh, you know, farmers, organic farmers, uh, people who are engaged in, in regenerative agriculture, who um, you know have to compete against you know large industrial farming operations that use GMOs and that um, you know don't have access to to those crops that they have intellectual property over. Um, and so you know a lot of what we do is try to empower local communities with new legal frameworks which they could you know in theory use to push back against GMOs. So yeah, I'd say that's as part of what we do. Um, you know, some of the other areas that maybe we're more squarely focused on are river protections, ocean protections, uh, protections of uh, endangered species, 
deforestation and and uh, some of these topics. And when it comes to deforestation, um, I mean, there's just so much happening. Even looking at the, is it like biomass or biofuel movement? Mm-hmm. And like, there's just so much that's come out around that as well. I mean, it all goes back to consumption. So like any type Mm -hmm. of place where we're trying to extract something is going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like in Michael Moore's documentary, he was talking Mm -hmm. about um, what an issue it's become and how is it, is Mm -hmm. it more sustainable than having a coal plant? So I, I'm curious what what you guys do because again none of those are beneficial for the earth yeah and to get to you know planet of the humans i know there's been some some controversy over uh, some of the the fact checking but um you know the big picture there is that um we really need to consider you know what energy sources we're using some energy sources that are called quote-unquote green energy or quote-unquote renewable energy are not green or renewable at all um, you know, I know the movie talked a lot about biomass. Um, one other area to bring up is is hydropower. Plenty of countries promote and subsidize hydropower, calling it renewable energy um, throughout Europe, for example, in, in the Balkans and Eastern Europe, where there's the last free flowing rivers in the continent. They're putting up thousands of small hydro facilities to generate, quote unquote, renewable energy. Uh, because they promote that as a, you know a solution to climate change and environmental challenges, but in fact, when you take a closer look at hydropower and biomass and some of these you know, alternative energy sources, they're extremely destructive of nature. Dams, whether they're small dams or mega dams, uh, can completely dry up rivers. They devastate salmon populations, as we see in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Um, they can uh, flood and displace uh, local communities. And um, in my mind, you know, something that permanently devastates freshwater ecosystems, as dams do, is not renewable at all if you, you know, consider what renewable means from nature's perspective uh, not, instead of just humans' perspective. And that's really what Earth Law Center tries to do is to uh, reframe our, our thought processes. So, we, you know, we ask what would nature's perspective be about this and from hydro for hydro. Uh, from the perspective of a river, if a river was a person and could it could engage in our democratic system, what would it say about dams? And I think it would have to say that you know dams violate this river's right to flow, to um, to be home to thriving fish populations, and so forth. And so I think we really need to take a critical look at you know our energy sources. Uh, you mentioned electric cars. Well, if your if your cars are on the grid, where's that electricity coming from? Um, in some states like, uh, you know, Arkansas, um, they have a, uh, almost a majority of their uh, electricity coming from coal. And obviously, coal is not a sustainable energy source. Uh, other places are, are really promoting uh, uh, solar panels, which I think is a superior energy source to many others out there. And so I think, um, you know, asking uh, questions, understanding the nuances, and then, you know, really considering uh, what is nature's perspective in all this. Uh, because we usually consider that last or secondary to our own are all are all important things that we can all do right now. What is your thought? So you think solar is superior to all the other energy sources that we've come up with thus far? You know, my I think solar and wind are are both, you know, superior to hydropower, 
Um, I mean, there's uh, tens of thousands of dams uh, in the United States. Uh, globally, there's 57,000 large dams uh, impacting two-thirds of all major rivers worldwide. And so, you know, I think if you compare that to, you know, solar panels and wind, which, um, you know, have their own challenges, because obviously you have to get raw materials to construct them. But, you know, I would say they're a superior energy source to many others, as well as to biofuels, which you know, are associated with uh, the degradation of, of ecosystems and, um, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions themselves and so forth. Yeah, I was curious about that. So people who don't know what biomass is, um, basically, we're like chopping down wood, right, to get our energy. Is that the easiest way to describe it? Yeah, it's energy produced by, you know, living or once living organisms. Um, a lot of it's plants, like corn and soy and um yeah you use this to, to to generate electricity and you know obviously um a lot of the problems in the world are about you know degradation of land use deforestation i mean of the amazon and other places and i think we need to be restoring ecosystems and not you know using them for our energy sources hey everyone i'm interrupting this episode to tell you about prima 75 to 90% of all doctor's visits are for stress-related issues. That's a huge number of conditions that can potentially be managed with lifestyle changes alone. Many of us are operating in survival mode, expecting our skin, bodies, and minds to thrive when we're running on empty. And that's why Prima is passionate about helping people manage their stress naturally with their range of products for mind, body, and skin. They're California-based and also purpose-led and have partnered with doctors to formulate products that specifically tackle this issue. Their products have also been clinically validated for skin, body, and mind. If you're interested in experimenting with CBD for daily stress, try Prima's The Daily CBD Capsules. Another way to incorporate CBD is as a sleeping aid. If you're in need of more restorative sleep and don't want to wake up groggy the next morning, their Sleep Tight is also an amazing way to improve sleep quality without the use of heavy meds. Prima is also offering our listeners an exclusive limited time 20% off offer with the code THEFULLEST. Head to prima.co forward slash thefullest to start feeling better naturally. And as far as solar panels go, I mean, like you mentioned, the extraction of raw materials necessary to create them is like an issue for sure. And so like, have you come across, I mean, I I think what Earth Law Center is doing is like you said, you're reframing what's good for the earth. So then maybe we have the framework of creating technology, of creating something that works with our planet is renewable and instead of again like going back to this place of let's take this and then well i'm going to take this from you and then we'll be able to maybe live in harmony together you know and like i do think any sort of like truly renewable resource exists today Mm -hmm. um you know no not truly renewable except um I think if you, you know, can promote degrowth and using less and, and conservation, then, you know, maybe you can have a net gain compared to where we're at today. Um, but, you know, I think the big 
the big thing we really need to embrace. Uh, there's something in in water law, uh, in Clean Water Act processes, and other environmental laws called uh, best available technology or best available techniques. And uh, sometimes, if you're a polluter, um, you know, if you want to pollute in a river, which I don't think you should be able to do, but this is how yeah. the law works. You have to use the best available technology to uh, to uh, reduce the, the the source of pollution to to you know to clean to clean up after yourself. And I think when it comes to um, our energy future, we really need to be using the best available technology, and th- and it shouldn't be just you know you get a pick from any number of of technologies, and they have their their pros and cons. We really need to promote. Um, the most uh, restorative, uh, renewable, and protective technologies uh, when considering not just climate change, uh, not just one place, but the entire community of life on our planet. And yeah, there's no there's no perfect technology, but I think solar and wind are, are the best we have right now. Yeah. Have you heard of any that are coming up? Like I've seen those things like in the ocean that like ride the waves. I don't, what is that? Is there like it looks like a snake, and I feel like it goes yeah in the wave is that something or yeah, I think wave wave energy um and um you know, I don't know a lot about the environmental impacts there, um, yeah, I'm sure there's some when you put sure, yeah. you know, giant machines in, in the ocean mm-hmm. um I know that uh whale species and cetaceans have enjoyed their uh, comparative peace during covid nineteen from less boat traffic and you know, I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, how wave energy would, would contribute to the yeah. well-being of marine species. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of, I think it shows there's a lot of creative innovation out there. Um, they have their pros and cons, but there's certain energy sources that we just need to move away from entirely. I think hydropower is just completely incompatible with um a future in which we live in harmony with with rivers and the natural world. I think you know, obviously coal is completely incompatible with uh, a healthy planet, and so you know I would encourage legislators to regulate the most destructive energy sources just to get rid of them, to ban them, keep fossil fuel in the ground, and then you know what we're left with, which is will be a handful of you know renewable, sustainable technologies. We can you know pick from those and weigh some of the pros and cons. Uh, but right now, with you know tens of thousands of hydro facilities with with uh, coal power, uh, oil power, biomass, I mean these are low hanging fruit that we should be picking and uh, and regulating, and then then let's work with what's left. Yeah, and, and do you feel that this administration is really like going to be a game changer in that area? Do they? Do you feel that they understand that? I do. I mean, certainly compared to. The last administration. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing Joe Biden did for the environment when he took office, you know, a week after he took office was he ordered a broad review of the Trump administration's environmental policies, including their anti-wildlife policies. And um, so, you know, Donald Trump had over 100 environmental rollbacks uh, under a, a range of environmental programs. And, you know, part of the work Joe Biden will do is to, to reverse all of those things, or hopefully all of them. Um, but then, you know, if you yeah. take the broader look, and this is, I think, what, what makes Earth Law Center's perspective important. If you look at the broader perspective, you know, transcending Republican and Democratic offices, we've seen the consistent, steady decline of nature in the United States 
over the past, you know, several hundred years. And, you know, to give a few examples, um, we once had up to 2 million wolves in the lower 48 states. Uh, now there's 7,000 wolves in only nine states wow. uh, in, in the lower 48. And, you know, the Biden administration right now is, uh, is, has, has not relisted these wolves as endangered, even though there's, you know, as low as less than a percent of their historic population. And uh, just last month, there was a big wolf kill in, in Wisconsin. Uh, where over 200 wolves were killed in under 60 hours. And, um, you know, this is something that all Democratic Demo- uh, Democrat and Republican uh, administrations have allowed, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the an onslaught against species in the United States. Uh, they've allowed 84,000 dams to be built on our rivers. Um, they've allowed the, you know, air pollution such that uh, over 300,000 people in the U.S. every year die of respiratory disease uh, due to air pollution. Uh, we've seen an eco side of certain ecosystems, such as the Great Plains, which was, you know, a, an amazing, unique uh, ecosystem in North America, and over half of which has been destroyed, uh, much of which for agriculture and, and development. Uh, we've seen the loss of um, American bison, which now only exists uh, in, in Yellowstone, uh, in terms of populations that are genetically pure. Wow. And, and so you have to ask yourself, you know, yeah, Biden's going to undo a lot of what Trump did and he's going to he's going to do some stuff better. I mean, he's called for uh for, you know, pretty strong renewable energy targets. But in terms of the big picture here, we're losing ecosystems and species and you know, I still don't think we're on a track to see the restoration of nature and to, for humans to live in harmony with the natural world which goes beyond anything that, you know, the major parties are doing right now, but I think, you know, should be part of the discussion. Um, is limited or lesser environmental degradation good enough? Is slowing down the rate of degradation good enough? Are wolf species that are slightly above uh, extinction, slightly better than extinction, kind of teetering in that gray area, good enough? Or should our goal really be, you know, restoration and, and harmony with nature? And that's what Earth Law Center pushes for is kind of this greater vision that we can live in harmony with the natural world, although it's going to take transformative change to get there. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I hope that there's um, I mean, you're working with the U.N. It Uh sounds like so obviously that's going to make a huge difference. But I think that what we do here in the States is really um, what people look to in other areas, even and I mean, I know that there are so many countries that are like in Europe and um, whatnot that are doing amazing things. But I think we have such a big imprint. And so if we can kind of model practicing these things, it makes such a big impact. And and like you said, I it's terrifying for people. I mean, I have ch- I don't know if you have children, but I have children. And so it's like like you said, I mean, they, it's their right to be able to live here and to be able to inherit an earth that's not polluted. And, and my whole thing, like, and with the fullest, I mean, we believe that everyone should have access to clean air, water, soil, food. And I think those basic human rights and the rights of the earth to have that be clean are, have totally been taken. And like you said, people are allowed to like DuPont, like it's like they're allowed to pollute our environment or i just heard i live um like i mentioned earlier i live in southern california so really close to catalina island Mm. and i heard that they had found like just a bunch of 
like canisters under the ocean or in the ocean bed, like of DDT. And mm-hmm. that's how they disposed of it. And it's like yeah. what people are swimming in or what's going on on Kauai right now with um, Monsanto Bear just like doing experimental practices of pesticides that haven't even gone any under any approval. They're just testing mm-hmm. it on, and these indigenous populations are being affected. And um, it's just so heartbreaking to hear because I guess what I'm gathering is that what you guys are doing is you're creating the framework so that other people can go on and use that framework to fight or to stand up for the earth and to stand up for these things that are happening in their communities. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned children. Um, There's a study that found an average of uh, 200 industrial chemicals in the umbilical cord of of a child. So, you know, people are being are kind of you know thrown into the hot pan right at right at birth and you know had no say in it. They're totally not responsible for for the degradation that they're born into. Uh, but yeah, exactly about Earth Law Center. You know the the reason that all these things are happening that there's these testings of new new pesticides that are that are uh, illegal in, in Hawaii, and just the massive degradation of nature is that you know companies uh, are operating within a legal and economic system that rewards them for exploiting nature. I mean, it's, it's uh, a benefit for a company to, uh, you know, destroy a, a forest or to, uh, or, or to put up a development in a sensitive area. And our, our economic system encourages that because, you know, it could increase our GDP. And because nature is defined as property, you know, corporations are built to maximize the exploitation of property that, and, you know, for a profit, that's what they do. And so, you know, I would say, you know, you can blame, you can blame DuPont, you can, you can blame, uh, you know, pesticide companies, but really, you know, they're the natural result of a legal system that, you know, enables and encourages them to exploit the natural world. And again, we do have some good environmental laws, uh, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, Endangered Species Act. They're all helpful, but, you know, what they do is just, is just limit and regulate environmental degradation, but never reverse it. Uh, additionally, you know, companies kind of consider, you know, fines or, or uh, other consequences under environmental laws as a cost of business. So, yeah. you know, that, that's just kind of part of their business sheet. So I think we need, you know, a couple of things. One is um, really enforce new rights uh, for people. You know, we have a right to a healthy planet. Let's start really enforcing that. Uh, for nature, I think nature has a right to a healthy planet as well. Um, for future people, they have a right to inherit a healthy planet. Uh, and then, you know, additionally, I think we need to, you know, really take a deep look at uh, how our economy works, what business practices are acceptable. Um, you know, nobody spent a single day in jail after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Um, yet, you know, people spend decades in jail for, uh, for you know, recreational drug use. And so I think we really need to look at some of the fundamental uh, purposes and and, uh, legal paradigms that we work within and challenge them. When you um, brought up the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act, um, like you said, like it's not restorative. And so are those areas that you guys are directly working on to change those laws? Yeah, we are working on, you know, new interpretations of them or or stronger interpretations. you know, the Clean Water Act, for example, um, that's actually something that Donald Trump rolled back uh, quite a bit. Um, 
kind of traditionally, it's been used to uh, ensure that pollutants are cleaned up in rivers that, you know, we're not dumping too many toxic substances or or uh, uh, too many of a, a chemical that's harmful to, to humans and fish life into a river. Um, but I think a way that the Clean Water Act is underutilized that we try to apply it uh, with is uh, to ensure the rivers have enough water in them and to ensure that entire watersheds are healthy uh, with adequate flows to support aquatic life and, and wetlands and uh, water-based ecosystems. And so that's something that we try to do is to say, look, the Clean Water Act isn't just about, you know, the, the chemical substance that's in the water between the embankments of a major, of a major river. It's about protecting the, the health of entire watersheds and ecosystems. And so that's kind of a holistic view of the Clean Water Act. And, um, you know, I think when we look at any of our environmental laws or any environmental issues, we really need to get out of the habit of looking at one narrow specific issue and look at ecosystems as being holistic and interconnected and looking at humans as being part of ecosystems as well. And um, that's something we try to do with all environmental laws, for sure. What is your opinion or any information that you have on like geoengineering? Oh, my gosh. Um, geoengineering is a nightmare. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, on with one hand, we're fueling climate change. And then the other hand, we're uh, promoting these totally untested, risky um, uh possibly as bad or worse than climate change in terms of impacts, uh, technologies uh, that we have no idea what they're going to do. I think there's this um, this hubris amongst humans that we uh, know how to control nature. And this actually started back um, during the, the period of uh, scientific enlightenment when scientists like Francis Bacon said, you know, the earth is really like a big machine or a giant clock and we can control it as long as we can pull the right levers um, you know, really thinking that we understand the intricacies of the earth and can manipulate them. And we've realized lately that we are, we are so wrong. Uh, you know, we have just a basic understanding of all the intricacies of nature and how they work together. Uh, we know that we've been, we've been disrupting it massively. And for us to think that we can, you know, on the one hand, exploit the planet and uh, fuel its, its degradation by allowing runaway climate change, and on the other hand, you know, somehow correct that through uh, the massive manipulation of, of the Earth's climate, which is what geoengineering is, I think is totally irresponsible and shows that we, you know, we haven't learned that um, there's no easy solutions to environmental protections. We have to address root causes, which are, you know, extraction, exploitation, um, use of uh, use of fossil fuels and so forth. And so, you know, I'm pretty strongly against geoengineering. Uh, as a solution to climate change, because it's not a solution to climate change. It's an, it's an experiment on the planet's health. And we know what the solution to climate change is. It's keeping fossil fuels in the ground. It's eliminating our reliance upon uh, oil and other fossil fuels. And it's transforming our economy so they're in harmony with the natural world rather than exploitative of it. So I'm I'm quite concerned about geoengineering. I am too. I think that's like probably one of the biggest things that I'm... Not that it's... I'm. I mean, everything's concerning for sure, but I think it's one thing that a lot of people also just don't know about as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to find information on. And so that's something I really want to talk to you about because I think that I'm sure that you guys are working on laws around that, but 
given that you're creating framework for others to also be able to do work around that, I'm curious how people can get involved. Because, because like you said, it's being sold as an answer to climate change, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really terrifying to think that we can just go up and spray things like aluminum in the environment and think mm-hmm. that it's going to cool our environment down enough. It's, it's similar to like our, um, just our mentality around well-being and health in general. Like you need to get to the root cause of what mm-hmm. you is. You can't just take a pharmaceutical bandaid that'll help mm-hmm. and create issues in other areas. It's exactly the same thing. And so especially our community and our audience, we really Mm -hmm. understand the need to really get into the root cause and do those things. But at the same time, I think part of it has to do, has to, the conversation has to be around making the decision to not pharmaceuticals, unnecessary pharmaceuticals in our body or not, um, you know, like engage in things like geoengineering that uh, we just don't know what the repercussions are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's terrifying. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it really is a lot like uh, like how we treat our bodies. You know, you mentioned uh, vitamins and experimental medication when, on the other hand, you're if you're totally abusing your body, that's not going to address the, the root cause. And, you know, really the, the planet we've come to realize is not that different than our own bodies and that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big organism. It's, it's the uh, Gaia theory or, or Gaia paradigm that understands the planet as a large living organism um, of, of complex systems and um, you know geoengineering that is uh, you know says that it's you know kind of a, a cure to to runaway climate change you know we've really we're really starting to learn that the, the cure could be worse than the disease um, and you know in terms of what people can do well there's uh, there's actually a you know kind of a win uh, last month or the month before um, where there was going to be uh, a geoengineering experiment in uh, in Sweden, and um, the uh, the Sami people, who are indigenous peoples uh, in that area, actually pushed back against this experiment and said uh, it shouldn't go forth. And they were going to uh, basically release a, a chalk dust in the atmosphere from a, a hot air balloon or something along those lines, with the idea being if you did this at a broad scale, it could reflect sunlight and, and cool the planet. Uh, but the Sami people, you know, pushed back and said, you know, manipulating the climate further is is not only a violation of you know nature's well-being, but uh, impacts our indigenous rights as well because wide-scale geoengineering will change climates. Um, perhaps the Sami people will will see uh, changes in in uh, reindeer migration patterns, and you know their way of life is very much in harmony with uh, with uh, reindeer in that part of the world. And we see more people saying that you know, look, you do widespread geoengineering. There's going to be. Uh, in, in addition to the unknown environmental impacts, winners and losers in terms of different climates. And there's going to be, you know, rights violations of peoples whose way of life is impacted because they live in harmony with the natural world. And when you mess with the climate, that changes. And so um, I think supporting communities who are pushing back against geoengineering is is one thing anyone can do. And then uh, being aware of where geoengineering experiments are happening. And, you know, if, if you're concerned about it, you know, speaking up, speaking up about it. Um, I will say, you know, there's some things you could call geoengineering that, you know, might be 
positive. Um, I mean, like replanting native forests uh, that take up uh, carbon from the atmosphere and restoring ecosystems, uh, ensuring that, you know, carbon sinks, as we call them, forests and oceans are healthy and thriving and are interacting properly with the climate. Uh, those are all really good things. And they still yeah. have broad impacts on the on the climate. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do besides blasting aerosols into the atmosphere, launching space mirrors or all the <laughs> crazy things people are talking about. Totally. Also, like I recently heard that they had um, released, this isn't geoengineering, but it goes back to the species conversation, like releasing I don't like mosquitoes either, but I mean, they're part of our ecosystem. And in Florida, like they released um, a fleet of mosquitoes that are like supposed to kill, I think, the female population. I think mm -hmm. like what are, you know, those who's like allowing these things to happen? <laughs> and what's yeah, I... behind that? Like, how is that happening in this century when we know the importance of things like bees? and just anything that's natural yeah. for our environment yeah and they they did they ha have done uh it has been approved to release genetically engineered mosquitoes um in florida and in other places they've done field tests and um you know they they kind of said there's a you know a high like extremely high likelihood that you know this this will not result in for example the permanent propagation of genetically engineered mosquitoes all over the planet although you can never be you can never be a hundred percent and so i do think it, it puts ecosystems at risk you know the reason that this is kind of happening i, I think is that you know again putting uh, the profits of, of companies developing these technologies over over the well-being of the planet and addressing root causes for you know centuries from tens of thousands of years humans lived in harmony with with the natural world and just in the last 200 years that's really changed and we've seen the wide-scale exploitation of nature and we've seen the commodification of nature as well in the last 200 years and i think you know genetically engineered organisms what it gets down to is we're commodifying nature we're treating it as our property we're tinkering with it so we can profit from it and we're um you know continuing to buy into this this flawed system that you know we own nature that it's ours it's it's our resource and i think um you know the solution to that is is legal and cultural it's legal and that we need new laws that say that you know nature has its own right to exist and that you know we have a legal duty to uphold to protect and restore nature and that it's and then it's also cultural we need to stop looking at nature as as something we you know, own and, and tinker with and exploit. And we need to look at nature as our, our partner on this planet, you know, our, our equal, uh, something that has just as much a right as we do to be here. And I think from that new perspective, we'll see us treating nature with respect and, you know, thinking twice the next time we want to, you know, tinker with this genetic code to, to benefit us, you know, economically or in some other way. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and, and telling us more about your work and, and Earth Law Center. And I'm, I'm curious, just if you don't mind, like before we um, close this episode, just sharing a little bit more about how people can get involved and support you and your work. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, Earth Law Center is a, a nonprofit organization that, you know, develops uh, legal theories and, and trains lawyers all over the world to advance 
this new generation of earth-based laws. Um, and if you support that, there's a number of things you can do. One, of course, is always to, to give or donate to Earth Law Center, uh, where we do all of our work entirely pro bono, so it's free uh, for the good of the planet and, and its local communities. Um, you can also uh, engage in education. If you go to our website, www.earthlawcenter.org, there's educational resources there. Uh, we wrote the first ever law school course book on earth law uh, that's being taught uh, already to students and can be taught at a law school level or an undergraduate level. And so if you're, a, if you're in the educational field, I encourage you to check that out. Um, we also have uh, model laws and templates that if you live in a certain community and you want to see stronger environmental protections, you can draw from to lead your own campaigns at the local level. So I encourage you to check out our legal resources. And then, you know, most of all, I just encourage you to start a conversation with your with your family, with your local politicians, with local businesses, and, you know, let them know that you support, um, you know, some of these uh, emerging solutions to the environmental crisis and that, you know, you want to see bold, transformative change uh, in, with, within our relationship with the environment as as uh as part of your 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 life mission and your goals so just you know start the conversations and support this stuff and practice is especially important thank you so much grant and is there information on like all these things on the earth law center website or in terms of if someone wanted to look more into geoengineering or look more into um you know hydro fuel and stuff like that mm -hmm. like where do you recommend that they go yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the topics we talked about today are are related to our work, but, um, you know, a little bit outside of the scope. I was sure happy to talk about them. Uh, the stuff you'll find on our website is about, you know, the, the legal, cultural, and business-related change that we need to see happen to live in harmony with, with nature. And so if, if you're interested in the kind of uh, paradigm-shifting models, um, whether you're, you know, a business, a, a student, an educator, uh, you'll find those on our website. So please check those out. Uh, if you have a special interest area in, you know, geoengineering or, or uh, genetic engineering or any of those areas, you know, there's plenty of resources out there. Um, I just encourage you to, you know, poke around the internet. And uh, when you're doing so, you know, give a chance to the websites of, of smaller groups that are advocating for more fundamental change out there. Um, there's larger groups that are doing really good work as well, but the smaller ones often have a little bit different perspective. Sometimes it's more, more progressive and, uh, you know, looks at the root causes and, you know, that's kind of what Earth Law Center pushes for. And so I encourage you to look at a variety of, of resources and educational materials out there in any area you're interested in. Thank you so much, Grant. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.